Good afternoon, everyone. This is our special meeting of Marin County Board of Supervisors, uh, Wednesday, March 24th, 2021. Um, we're moving to our one o'clock schedule. I'm gonna turn it over to Matthew to introduce the topics. So good afternoon, board members. And as you know, this is our third and final day of uh, informational budget workshops. On Monday, we provided a budget and racial equity overview. We heard from our justice partners as well as health and human services around safety net services. Yesterday afternoon, we heard an update on homeless response, and homeless prevention, as well as climate change and sea level rise. So this afternoon, we wanted to um, give you an overview of our Marin Compass, or our performance management effort, highlight a few of the department's efforts, and then we'll turn our attention to a review of the draft work plans, which we provided you. And we have a handful of departments where we wanted to highlight a few of the work plan initiatives for you. So with that overview, and then of course, we'll have public comment, and then we'll have final comments from your board at the end of the, today's session. So with that overview, I'll turn it over to Angela Nicholson, who will be kicking off the Marine Compass overview. President Rodoni. Oh, we need to do uh, a roll need, call. And yes, thank you, uh, Sheila. A roll call, please. And then we'll have you um, instruct the public how to participate. Supervisor Conley. Here. Supervisor Rice. Here. Supervisor Malton Peters. Here. Supervisor Arnold. Here. Supervisor Radoni. Here. And Sheila, would you please give instructions how to participate in the meeting? Instructions for participating in the meeting are available at www.marincounty.org forward slash board comments. Instructions will also appear on the top of the screen throughout the meeting. The board president will announce when it is time to take comments and will set the time limit. If joining by computer, use the raise hand icon at the bottom of your screen to inform the moderator that you would like to speak. If you're joining by phone, press star nine to indicate that you would like to comment. When it is your turn to speak, your name will be called. After your name is called, you should see a request on your device that the host would like you to unmute. If you are participating by phone, you will hear you are unmuted. Please unmute and provide your first and last name. Reminder <clears throat> that there may be a slight delay when you are watching the live stream. If you anticipate wanting to speak during the meeting, please join in advance of the item you wish to speak on. Thank you, Sheila. So we'll turn it over to Angela now. Good afternoon, board members. Happy to be here this afternoon to talk about Marine Compass. I'm Angela Nicholson, Assistant County Administrator, and I'm happy to have with me Marine Compass champions who've really been leading, helping us lead this effort. Um, Marina Raskin is joining me and she's been a really strong partner um, from IST. And as we move through this presentation, if you've got questions about data, she and other members of her data team, including um, Andy Westbaum are here to answer any questions about data. I wanted to start with what is Compass? Um, Compass is really our performance management initiative. Um, and it's designed to create a culture of continuous improvement. It's different from previous performance management efforts in the county because it really um, attempts to ensure that our initiatives are developed by first engaging our employees and our residents. And it relies on data to make sure that we inform our operational priorities and measure progress. Brand Compass is not a list of tasks for the coming year. 
but it really focuses on what the organization is doing to improve. And so it is our commitment to become a learning organization that constantly strives to improve our services to the community. Just to kind of give you a brief, um, if you can go to the next slide, Al. Um, to give you a brief overview, there were really three focus areas when we developed Marine Compass, and it was really um, our countywide indicators. And our countywide indicators, Max is going to speak to shortly. Um, and that really speaks to what are things that the county, uh, our residents as a whole, look to to say, are we a healthy and safe um, county? And those are things that we don't necessarily control all of those things all on our own, but they are good indicators of how the county of Marin as a whole is doing. So we'll talk a little bit about that. Um, second category was really our cross-departmental initiatives. And I will say in the last year, there's good news and there's bad news. The good news is we have all we've been doing for the last year is cross-departmental initiatives. So we haven't formally called it that, but for the last three days, all that you have heard from is groups of departments that are working together and they are showing how they are more effective and more efficient when they actually coordinate with each other. So the, the intent around the cross-departmental indicators is to actually start pulling data. And as I've been listening the last couple of days to the criminal justice um, department heads and to the sea level rise um, group and of all of the data that we, we really need to be looking at and really evaluating for how we continue to get better. COVID has been one large cross-departmental indicator. Every single day, all day long, we sit and watch the data move and to figure out where do we need to change um, some of our uh, practices. We would not be at a place where we can proudly say that over 48% of the adults in Marin County are vaccinated if we hadn't done it across all of our departments. It's been an enormous team effort and it is a perfect example of Compass. And so I felt, I feel really like we, we need to honor that space because in this last year we have kind of been forced to work really collaboratively together, but it's been very, very successful. Um, the third part of Marine Compass is really department initiatives. And you'll see this ladder here of departments really digging back in and saying, what is our mission? What are the initiatives that we really want to accomplish? How do we move those things forward? And then what's the data that's actually going to measure? So what we're um, going to present to you today is three different departments are going to kind of show you what their process was, show you their data that's up on our website, ready to be viewed, and talk about how are they using the data in their organizations to become better um, to our community, better provide better services to our community. So I'm, this has been a, a project that we have been waiting to bring to your to the board to bring this data to your board. So I'm just really excited to launch it. And I wanna give appreciation to each of the people that are speaking today. You guys have been great champions and help us to, and really helped us to get this data up on sites. And we're excited to work with the rest of the departments to make sure that we get data up for every single department because this, is da this data is imperative to helping us make better decisions as an organization. So with that, I'm gonna turn it over to Max Corton. Thanks, Angela. And good afternoon, Supervisors, Max Corton, Director of Marin County Parks. And um, want to start off by thanking Marina Raskin, um, who's really made done a lot of the work to make all this possible. And then I know um, Rosemary Pasatino, also in our parks crew, has been a big help as well, and, and quite a few others. And I think Marina is going to take us to the website. And I think um, one of the things that we wanted to do today was navigate through this 
you know, live, not as part of a presentation so that you can really see how it works for the public accessing our site. So Marina's just clicked on the community indicators uh, part of the site. And um, I'm just gonna describe, you know, this part of it and then I'll hand it off um, to describe uh, more for some of the different um, uh, uh, departments. But uh, let's see, so uh, these community indicators, uh, you know, we really came together as a group of um, individuals from different departments and thought about, you know, what are the strategic goals of the county, um, you know, looking at our five-year business plan and um, some of the things that make the county unique and are important. And then also some of the indicators that cross, you know, between the different work of the different departments to think about, you know, as a whole, you know, what's the, how, how do we um, sort of test the wellness of the county and, and describe it in the, in a larger sense. And so, and then also, you know, one of the things that Marina and others did was really look and find what data is actually out there th that can um, sort of speak to these measures. And so um, you can see here are a few of the measures that we have, and some of these are more fleshed out than others, but um, looking at income, housing affordability, emergency readiness, public lands, commute time, and school readiness. And we'll just jump in and look at a couple of these in a little more detail and can, um, you know, we can always jump in more if you have questions. But let's go to public lands here uh, first, because this is something that, you know, I like for <laughs> parks. Um, but of course, you know, we have our own parks page, but this really shows, you know, one thing that's unique about Marin County is there's a lot of public land. And Marina, if you want to scroll down, you know, there's a description, you know, and a link to our OneTAM site that's really has all the land managers linked together. But there's also a sort of a handy map here um, that uh, where folks can look at the uh, map of the county and see which agencies manage the different land, um, whether it's National Park Service, State Parks, Water District, and then if you keep uh, scrolling down, you know, I think some of these things are really interesting. It shows by acres, you know, what, um, uh, which agencies own sort of the largest chunks of land. And then you can even sort of filter it and go within different agencies um, and, and sort of see at a more granular level, the types of, um, uh, yeah, like if you looked at the County of Marin, you can see that like our, this is just our county parks and the, you know, the regional ones are really large and there's some much smaller ones as well. So, you know, I, I think it's sort of interesting to be able to look at those things and let's go back, Marina, to the main site and we can jump into income here. And, um, you know, this is, uh, you know, obviously one of the things that, that um, you know, is really important for us is, is uh, equity. And, um, you know, there's obviously, a, you know, a fair amount of inequity around income in the county. And so we just wanted to look at how we could utilize the data that's already out there to um, sort of visualize some of those inequities. And so, um, you know, there's a few different graphs here that we'll just go, run through real quick you know, income by race, and you can um, look by year over time. And, uh, uh, you know, it's just, it's one of those things that's sort of interesting to see how this changes over time in the county to get a sense of, of sort of how we're, how we're doing and by type. 
And then if you want to scroll down more, um, income by age, um, and then income by ethnicity, again, um, but over mapped over time. Um, and then distribution of income in Marin as well. It, you know, one of the things you can kind of see is how higher income is uh, uh, sort of congregates in certain parts of the county. Um, and then you can scroll down more. And then, uh, yeah, the number of households with income within uh, an age ranges. So, yeah, it, there's just, you know, it gets more and more detailed in here. And there's a lot of different ways to sort of play with this data and ask, you know, a lot of really meaningful questions that are helpful as we think about some of these cross-departmental efforts um, to address inequity and some of these other issues. And then we can go back to the main landing page. Um, and with that, I think I'll wrap up uh, this part about the indicators and hand it over to Asha from the Department of Finance, who I think is going to take you through the next part of this presentation. Thank you, Max. Uh, good afternoon, everyone. Um, my name is Asha Esmail. Thank you for having me. I work for the Department of Finance. So we're going to go over the Department of Finance page today. Um, a cross-section of DOF employees were selected to join the committee to meet the goals and objectives of COMPASS. To approach the project, we reviewed the county and DOF's five-year business plan. The plan was to have two COMPASS performances data sets by the end of June, but we were able to publish 12. Um, we narrowed down our focus on two strategies. So if you scroll down, we'll see um, enhancing public service and enhanced transparency. Today, we will concentrate on um, enhanced public service. And then... So the Department of Finance has four divisions and 12 different units. To lay out the foundation, we created a page for each unit with the goal to, to publish a matrix for each unit by the end of 2022. Today, we will share the matrix of a popular program amongst the county and the public, which is administered through the Central Collections um, Unit called Transient Occupancy Tax. So in 2017, the county identified that short-term rentals were at a rise. However, we had a low number in compliance with the county's TOT ordinance, which was established in 1966. So to address this, the Department of Finance established four sets of TOT compliance initiatives. Um, they were to upgrade the TOT system to provide online registration, reporting, and payment services. Um, another one was to um, establish TOT remittance agreements with online reservation platforms. Um, the third one was to amend the TOT ordinance to include certificate of tax lien and to identify and communicate with non-compliance operators before initiating legal action. Um, the county also established a local ordinance for operators to notify their neighbors that they were operating a short-term rental. Um, neighbors often contact the Department of Finance to verify if short-term rentals are properly permitized. So on our Compass page, you'll find an interactive uh, map of active short-term rentals that are registered with the county. Um, so there's two ways of doing this. We can click on um, the green dots, and those are all the active rentals. 
or there is a search field where you can search either the property address or the name of the property, if that is known, to pinpoint exactly what you're looking for. So this has helped um, the community a lot in regards to um, verifying information. So that is something that we have. Um, one of the objectives of COMPASS was to see the measure of the impact of revenue after all the initiatives were in place. Through the matrix on the COMPASS page, we were able to measure the fruitation of the, of the program. This, ma this matrix here shows the annual goal and the revenue collected. Um, the measure on the left shows the historical performance and the tile on the right shows the progress of the current fiscal year. We had a good year in 2019 pre-pandemic. Pre um, the increase was due to the full implementation of the TOT compliance initiatives, as I mentioned earlier. Um, so 98% of new registrations are now completed online. 78% of short-term rental operators pay and report TOT using the online system monthly. Um, the county has also established um, TOT remittance agreements with two of the top online platforms, Airbnb and VRBO, who collect and remit TOT to the county. Um, the county also hired um, a third-party company to help identify short-term rentals who were not registered. Um, invitations to DOF held workshops and notifications were mailed to homeowners to gain voluntary compliance. All but a handful complied by registering for a business license, TOT certificate number, and paid the three years back TOT taxes. Um, with the processes in place and a bigger reach to operators and open communication with the communities, um, we were able to commu uh, communicate better and help the community a little bit more. Um, this has resulted in increased revenue and compliance during the, the period that you see here. Um, so we maintained our revenue income, but the revenue was, we, we did maintain our revenue income, but the revenue came in slightly under expectation due to the COVID pandemic. Um, we anticipate growth in revenue as the restrictions are lifted. If we scroll down a little bit more on the Compass page, in 2019, Measure W was elected by West Marin constituents. Um, the increase in the TOT tax rate approved by the measure increased funding for fire and emergency services in long-term community housing. Below, um, you can see the revenue breakdown, uh, which is equally divided by 2% for each program. When, when the COVID um, restrictions are eased, we expect to see this growing again. We expect to see growth on this as, as well. Um, so the TOT program has proven to be very successful due to the support of DOF senior leadership and also the Central Collections team. I also want to thank Andy and Marina for their outstanding support on Compass. Um, thank you for this opportunity to let, um, for me to present this to you. Um, I'm going to I'm going to um, introduce Davis Lewis of U.S. Cooperative Extension Marin. Thank you. Good afternoon, supervisors. It's always nice to be with you again. Compass for UC Cooperative Extension and the Farm Advisors has been a wonderful opportunity for us to dig deeper on how we serve all of Marin's communities and also how we partner with other departments and community organizations to accomplish goals that are difficult for one department by itself to accomplish. Uh, for us, the development of Compass was, was team-based from the beginning. Project and program leads 
stepped forward to learn how to incorporate their work and programs and projects into the Compass purpose and platform. These leaders responded to the stretch that this effort required. Becoming proficient in a new technology platform was part of this stretch. And here, this is where we also joined the Marina and Andy West, Marina uh, uh, Raskin, pardon me, Marina, Marina Raskin and the Andy Westbaum fan club. Uh, they just, we couldn't have done this without their help, as well as training and support from the CAO's office. Um, that stretch also included confirmation or reconfirmation of who we are serving and the impacts we are striving to accomplish through this service. Um, lastly, that stretch involved exploration of how to communicate goals and programs in meaningful, relevant ways. Program leads became story owners within Compass, meeting regularly to share their progress on story development and also exchange tips and recommendations for using Compass. Uh, we've got four stories here, for, as you can see on our main page. Um, and what I'd like to do is I'll, I'll just share two quick stories with you. Um, the first I wanna share with you is the progress being made by the Marin Knotweed Action Team uh, and its efforts to eradicate Japanese knotweed. This is a collaboration with the Point Reyes National Seashore, uh, with Golden Gate National Parks Conservancy, California State Parks, Marin's Agricultural Department, the County Parks Department, uh, the Water District, uh, Marin Resource Conservation District, and other local community organizations in the San Geronimo Valley and Lagunillas Creek watersheds. The Compass story conveys uh, the threat that knotweed poses both to the environment and to uh, built in the, the natural and the built environment and, and routes uh, any reader to other information for how to participate in the program. Uh, it also pre presents the progress this partnership has made in identifying patches of knotweed on private residential parcels and placing those sites into a management and monitoring program. Our implementation goal is to manage every identified patch on private and public lands for three to five years contributing to the larger eradication goal for the entire watershed. The page has this chart tracking the specific sites and modification and adjustments to our program, particularly about the, the private parcels. Starting in 2018, there were 12 patches. That grew to 71 in 2019. And in 2020, those 71 continue to be monitored and managed, the orange and the green bars. Um, and three, I'm sorry, the gray and the blue bars, and with three additional new sites that are coming online now that we're adding to the program. Um, and through these three years, we are on track with our measure. Um, we are monitoring and managing 97% of the known sites. Uh, and again, as, as we share uh, this measurement tile, our goal is to do that for 100% of the sites. So we're, we're on our way. Uh, and we know which sites we need to add to the fold. Uh, so returning to the homepage, let me just share a second story. Uh, and, and this one will be about youth development. Um, in this case, we made a focus effort to grow the reach of our youth development program through professional development of staff and volunteers at after school programs. Our youth development team trains this cadre of partners in science, technology, engineering and math and civic engagement curriculum. This increases that staff's capacity and ability to deliver experiential learning opportunities 
that are proven to advance youth confidence and leadership skills. These charts display youth and volunteer program participation starting in 1991. Uh, undoubtedly, COVID has impacted our reach and will influence uh, participation in the current 2021 program year. All the same, as the story conveys, starting in 2018 program year, we have expanded our reach. And now with in-person youth programs reopening, we are confident this momentum will continue and grow as we aim towards our 2025 targets of 10,000 youth and 250 adult volunteers. Um, these measure goals and our progress toward them can be seen in these two measure tiles, uh, where the past program year we, we had four, over 4,000 youth participating and 75 additional adult volunteers contributing to the project. Um, and while we are striving for that level of participation, this effort in collaboration is hard, has already made a significant increase in the number of youth participating in our programs. Specifically, we are now reaching youth of color at rates that exceed Marin school enrollment numbers. We are exploring how better to communicate this progress and reach Encompass, and we'll do so in the coming year. Um, here again, we want to thank our volunteers and partner organizations like Bay Area Community Resources and the Canal Alliance, among others. With that, thank you for the opportunity that Compass has provided us to focus and communicate these efforts and impacts. And now let me introduce Lonnie Ward from the Community Development Agency and Environmental Health for the next part of our presentation. Hello, I'm Lonnie Ward, and I'm gonna be presenting for CDA today. In January of 2019, Brian Crawford and Tom Lai reached out to all CDA asking for volunteers to work on a Compass Committee. We came together across departments as staff, supervisors, and managers. Management that attended the committee meetings were mostly there to listen and offer guidance, but let employees lead the conversation. We met monthly in the beginning as we rewrote our mission statement and outlined strategies that would speak to work done by all departments within CDA. We then worked in small groups to come up with possible objectives. During this time, members of the CDA Compass team brought back ideas to their individual departments for input. Once we had some solid ideas, we split off to work on objectives from our own departments and continued to bring our ideas back to the main group to ensure that our objectives were clear, concise, measurable, and feasible. While working on our mission and objective, the CDA Compass team started developing pages on Socrata with the help of our data champions. You can see our mission displayed on our agency's main page. We identified two strategies from that mission, equitable communities and healthy communities. Under equitable communities, we have two objectives. Those are the housing production, which is currently displaying data from 2019, um, and we're working on updating this data, and preventing displacement, which we are still working on. Under the healthy communities, we also have two objectives hand washing at food facilities and medical waste disposal, a focus on education. We are still working on gathering data for the medical waste objective. And in this presentation, I'm going to focus on the hand washing objective. I work in the consumer protection on the consumer protection team with environmental health services and worked with the consumer protection team to develop an objective 
that addresses hand washing violations observed by environmental health inspectors during routine inspections of food facilities like restaurants and grocery stores. Hand washing violations are just one of the violations we look for when we inspect food facilities. However, we know that hand washing is one of the most important ways to prevent foodborne illness, as emphasized by the CDC. It is also one of the most difficult things to teach. People develop habits with hand washing that are difficult to correct, and these conversations can be uncomfortable at times. You can see on our page a few of the different hand washing violations that we observe. When discussing with the CDA Compass team, this objective quickly rose to the top as there was already data available to measure our objective. EHS is legally required to post inspection reports to the public. We post these to our website. In addition, Andy Westbaum of IST previously worked to merge our data into open data in order to post inspection results on Yelp. We were able to use this data to find facilities that had received major consecutive handwashing violations. By creating a measure, we are able to see that 36 facilities were identified as having issues with handwashing. The measure now shows 35 such facilities since data is automatically updated. A measure below is an additional measure that tracks the number of new food facilities with handwashing violations so we can address these violations before habits become established. We determined that our objective would be to provide an educational site visit to 75% of these facilities. We were not sure how much time or resources we would be able to allocate to this project. As part of our inspections, we are mainly citing violations and offering corrective actions for those violations. While educational outreach is an important part of our job, it can be difficult to fit into a routine inspection as we are tasked with evaluating over 52 potential violation categories, as well as providing guidance on safe distribution of surplus food, stormwater pollution prevention, and proper handling of food waste, just to name a few. We saw this as our opportunity to focus on outreach and to specifically provide educational materials and demonstrations on hand washing. Outreach would be provided in the form of glow germ demonstrations that show people areas of their hands they are missing when they wash, along with discussions on when to wash hands and providing educational handouts in the common languages spoken by the operator and staff. This is a video we created showing one of our inspectors doing a glow germ demonstration. You're welcome to watch this anytime for a refresher on hand washing. And then the pandemic hit, and this project was on the back burner while we pivoted to responding to COVID compliance complaints and continued with our routine inspections. When there was a spike in COVID cases in December and increased restrictions in the shelter in place order, the decision was made for inspectors to move to modified inspections, including abbreviated virtual and scheduled onsite inspections. Social distancing in a kitchen is very difficult and food service workers already have a high level of exposure to the general public and are significantly at higher risk of contracting COVID. We know that 13% of the COVID positive cases in Marin have been people working in the food service industry. Our goal was to reduce the exposure of both restaurant workers and our inspectors. These modified inspections presented the perfect opportunity for us to implement our hand educational 
um, hand washing site visits. Inspectors provided this education by meeting with operators and staff via video calls, phone calls, and some scheduled in-person appointments when facilities were closed. Since December, our inspectors have surpassed our initial objective. The graph shown on our page here tracks our progress and shows that we have completed approximately 347 educational visits, including providing education to the initial 35 facilities identified as having the greatest need. These 35 facilities are shown on the measure we reviewed earlier. The response to these visits has been very positive. Food facility operators are engaged, interested in the glow germ demonstrations, and eager to talk about hand washing. Some operators have even purchased their own glow germ kits and are intending to educate their own staff, friends, and family. Operators are also grateful that we are not coming into their kitchens as food facilities have been hit particularly hard by the pandemic and are operating under heavy restrictions and losses in revenue. Some have been unable to stay open during times when indoor dining is not allowed. We have found that in addition to providing educational outreach, we've been able to conduct routine inspections virtually and continue to learn new techniques to allow us to do so effectively. Looking forward, we would like to revise our objective to include providing educational handwashing visits to all full service food facilities and we'll then assess the effectiveness of these visits at subsequent inspections. The graph here shows our progress toward this goal. There are five main types of handwashing violations. Our success will then be measured by assessing the reduction in the five handwashing related violations. In our case, the data and the circumstances led us to revisiting and revising our objective. We are excited to expand the handwashing educational program and look forward to developing other objectives that will help our department continue to improve and provide equitable services while protecting the safety of our community. Thank you so much for this opportunity and thanks especially to Marina Raskin and Andy Westbaum for all your help. And now I'm going to turn it back over to Angela. Thank you, everybody. I think um, from the presentations, I think we're happy to take questions as well. I think uh, one big message is don't measure what's easy, measure what matters. And I think that's really the focus in the Compass program and that these initiatives came directly from employees looking to improve the services that they were providing and looking to actually make sure that the programs that they are running are the most effective they can be. And so, um, we also have really pushed departments this year and really um, supported them to pivot. Uh, COVID has made a lot of the work that we are doing different. And so um, to Lonnie's point, um, they were doing it one way. They changed their program and started delivering um, their education in a different way. And the truth is it may end up being a more effective way. And so that's something that they can really learn from that data in how they um, deliver, out, deliver those outreach services to the community. Um, I think one other commitment that we're making in the Compass program is to really disaggregate data. It's not just that we're as a whole, a whole doing well or as a whole making progress. It's how are we doing in, in each community? How are we impacting various parts of our county? And so I think you saw that in some of the data that Max um, presented on the community indicators. We really pushed on disaggregating the data around income, disaggregating the data in education to really make sure that we have a good understanding of Programs may have a positive impact on one group of folks and a not as positive an impact. And we really need to dig in to figure out how we can provide better services in those areas. 
Before I close and turn back over to your board, I did want to just, um, Andy, I wanted to call you out. Andy has been part of the program from the beginning, and I heard you might be retiring. And I just wanted to um, congratulate you and thank you for being a partner on Compass since the very start of the program. And um, I'm happy, happy to have any questions from your board about the Compass project. Thank you, Angela and the whole team. Really excellent presentation. Questions of board members? Uh, yes, yeah, Supervisor Rice. Yeah, I don't, I don't really have any questions. Um, every time we get a, um, a presentation that brings us to these dashboards, I always make a mental note and then I go dive back, dive back into the website at night. But I just, I really appreciate sharing, sharing these examples and also the tool. And um, I, I hope more people take advantage of it, but it's, um, I think too, that the last comments that you made uh, Angela, something I've been thinking about, and it keeps coming up um, in our conversations over these last few days about how COVID is really uh, has really uh, initiated a lot of change. It required a pivot and a way, and it's all to look at things differently and do things differently, and keep wondering what's what will um, remain changed. How will we remain changed post COVID? And um, if, if Compass is a, a vehicle to help us actually understand that and move us forward. Um, it's even that much more powerful. So just thank you all for the presentations today. Other comments or questions? Yes, Stephanie, go ahead. Thank you. D just a similar comment to everybody. I, thank you. I can see what a useful tool this is. And these were great examples. And I look forward to seeing it spread throughout the organization. I think this will give us an ability for some very um, fine-tuned sense of the effectiveness of our service delivery. And that's an important thing. Thank you. Other comments, questions? I just wanted to comment that I'm most familiar with the Department of Finance, TOT, and the NotWeek program. And it's just amazing how when you actually single out and target a program, the successes that you can have by doing that. And I think everyone should be congratulated that that's really what's what's showing us. I think the, the path forward is when we wanna target something, we really can go after it and really make a difference. And I think that's really great. My one question is, so this is a live website essentially that we just looked at. How often is it updated and it when? On, it depends on the data set. Our goal, um, we did a, you know, your board passed the data management tool about a year ago. Um, our goal is to make it automated. So. Um, to the extent that the data is available and accessible, then we it's automatically updated. There are some data sets that might be only updated once a month. Um, but again, our goal is to make it as automated as possible. Marina, do you want to add to that? Yes, of course. Um, uh, yes, some of the data sets are updated once a month. We do have uh, automated data sets that are updated daily. Uh, some are updated on a quarterly basis, some are updated on a yearly basis. It really depends on the data set. Thank you. Any other comments or questions from board members? Okay, so I wanna thank you so much for coming for, before us and bringing, all, bringing us all this good, good news and good presentation. So, and thank you, Andy. Uh, good luck if you're retiring, yeah. <laughs> So we're gonna move on. So thank you all and move into um, review of department plan work plans. Matthew, do you wanna start that off? 
Sure. So we have a handful of uh, department initiatives that we wanted to highlight based on some of your board's questions. Um, so we were going to start with Tom Lai of our community development agency and he has many initiatives on his departmental work plan, but in particular, he was going to highlight the housing element, improve coordination with indigenous tribes, assisting low income owners resolving code enforcement cases and evaluating the EHS on-site waste disposal system program. So I'll turn it over to Tom for that update and uh, certainly your board can ask additional questions if you have any. Thank you, Matthew. Can you all hear me? Good. Uh, good afternoon, President Rodoni and members of the board. I want to highlight four of CDA's initiatives for the next fiscal year for you this afternoon. The first is housing. Yesterday, you received a presentation on the county's efforts to address homelessness, including CDA's role in the COVID rental assistance program. Picking up on that theme, a major initiative in our work program is to start the next phase of the update to our general plan, to our countywide plan. As you know, we're currently working on the first phase, which consists of updating our stream conservation area ordinance in San Geronimo Valley. This next phase includes updates to our housing, safety, and environmental justice elements. The impetus for this work is the state mandated deadline to complete our housing element update by the beginning of 2023, as well as other state mandates in the area of climate change. I wanna draw your board's attention to this work because of the major implications to where housing is located, the types of housing, as well as other challenges posed by Marin's geography, our susceptibility to the effects of climate change, such as rising seas and increased exposure to fire hazards, as well as our implications to our obligations not to focus affordable housing in areas of minority concentration. This countywide plan phase two update is probably the largest initiative in CDA's work program um, for the next year. Secondly, um, we are, while we're on the topic of housing, um, we are also going to be looking at evaluating options to the design of more effective and environmentally sound uh, septic systems for the purposes of increasing our supply for affordable housing, particularly in the development of accessory dwelling units or ADUs. One of our proposed initiatives is to seek to promote equitable resolution towards clean septic systems or ADU perks. This program seeks to resolve existing unpermitted ADUs that are in our code enforcement inventory by identifying those ADUs that have the greatest risk associated with unknown or failing septic systems and pairing those with equity criteria that could bring financial support to low-income homeowners who do not have the means to repair or upgrade their septic systems. The goal is to ensure a healthy stock of legal ADUs that could also provide a means um, of income for some of our low-income uh, property owners. This work will build upon one of our current initiatives to reevaluate our wastewater regulations, again, to support uh, affordable housing development. As your board knows, we have already begun that effort through a pilot program to permit around 20 ADUs in the Bellinas area through a partnership with a local housing land trust and the uh, Bellinas Public Utilities District. These efforts to support development of additional ADUs and affordable housing also underscores one of our challenges. This brings me to the third initiatives I wanna draw your board's attention to. We estimate that only about 10% of our 
septic systems are regularly inspected and monitored through our uh, monitoring program. To compound the problem, we estimate there are upwards of over a thousand septic systems that are not under any type of a septic permit. We cannot have healthy and safe housing conditions and also protect our environment and our water resources if we don't address um, the lack of uh, regular um, information gained on the performance of uh, thousands of our septic systems, particularly in West Marin. This third initiative would involve our environmental health staff reevaluating our current program, relooking at our county uh, uh, ordinance requirements, um, looking at our local agency management program, which is under review by the Water Board, and then looking at options to see if there's a better means to um, kind of uh, get a handle on the stock of um, septic systems whose performance we don't really uh, know much about. This could involve development of a resale ordinance that would be very similar to the types of ordinances that are in place in areas served by public sewer, where at the time of sale, a lateral inspection is required to you know, protect the buyers and also to address any uh, leaking or failing lateral uh, sewer laterals that could contribute to environmental problems. And then finally, in the area of equity, uh, we're looking to implement a program called Marin Rice. That's revitalizing indigenous cultural engagement. This initiative seeks to increase protection of our archeological and tribal cultural resources outside of the um, requirements under the California Environmental Quality Act or CEQA by looking to establish earlier contact with our uh, native tribes um, and establishing better protocols for consultation, particularly on construction on areas that are, have high archeological sensitivity. Um, this um, program is really a phased program, whereas we will not undertake um, the next part of the program until we have met certain kind of um, conditions of success. Um, we intend for this to be a collaborative effort with our native tribes, as well as other county departments, which is including public works department. And it may lead to uh, amendments to county code uh, regulating excavation of Indian middens, uh, as well as other uh, requirements, uh, which may include having an on-call coordinator, a representative of the tribe that's brought in very early to consult on construction projects that may have an impact on our cultural resources. Again, this is um, an effort to be more proactive as opposed to reactive. Our current uh, process is more of a reactive, you know, let's do this when we, you know, find something after excavation started. Let's do this because this is a requirement from CEQA to do consultation when a project environment requires environmental review. We think this is a promising um, equity initiative, uh, but we are also going to pursue it uh, cautiously and making sure that our partners are all on board and that we meet the success criteria before we move to the next step. Um, those are the four initiatives that I do wanna um, uh, bring to your board's attention and I'm happy to answer any questions about these and any of our other initiatives in our proposed work program for next fiscal year. Thank you. Yep. Thank you, Tom. Questions or comments from the board at this point? Okay. 
Tom, doesn't look like you have any questions. I know that you have a very long work plan in CDA, and these are just a snapshot of some important ones that I thought the public should become aware, aware of, including the board. So thank you. Dennis, I have my hand up. Oh, sorry, Judy. Go okay. ahead. Um, I just want to say the, the latter thing the, uh, that you uh, gave us. Uh, Tanya and I were, were in a, a meeting with Tom, and he had just come back to, um, I believe, to one of the meetings that because you're looking at sewers, you're also looking at houses and, and where they should go with, all, with, our, with equity, et cetera. I thought it was one of the most exciting things I'd ever heard. Really, get, you can get into a land use uh, um, project and by going this other by going these other ways around you come in and make that uh, make that work and so i just wanted uh, any of our colleagues that haven't seen this um, i think you're going to be very excited this is you know first you all first of all you say oh god it's time now to uh, look at the, at the at our plan and and i am looking forward to it thanks thank you supervisor molton peters Thank you. I just wanted to offer my um, compliments and appreciation, Tom. You do. You and your staff have a very full plate. I'm looking forward to working with you on the housing element and all that that entails. Uh, and I appreciate the forward thinking on the Bolina septic uh, project as well as the septic system work you're doing in West Marin. And the RISE uh, initiative sounds very promising. Thank you for being forward thinking on that. Other comments? Okay, thank you, Tom. So thank I think now we're, we're going to bring on Linda Roberts. Is that correct, Matthew? Yeah, that's I wanted to give Linda Roberts, our elections chief, uh, an opportunity to follow up. You may recall that your board had supported the intentions of moving to vote center uh, model in 2022. And so I wanted her to be able to provide an update. So, um, and I think Al, we have like a one pager as well to that she can share. Linda, do you want to present the one pager here? Thank you. Sorry, I had my video and my audio off. So, good afternoon, supervisors. I appreciate this opportunity. And as Matthew said, uh, first of all, Linda Roberts, Registrar of Voters. As Matthew said, in keeping with uh, prior board direction, our focus this year is going to be on implementing the vote center model for voters uh, starting in with the 2022 statewide primary election. And it's interesting that November, with all the silver linings that last year presented, actually gave us an opportunity to kind of pilot a vote center-like model. It was um, it was last minute due to legislative changes for that uh, election, but we were able to test out some of the elements. the The difference with the full vote center model and what we were able to do in November is the full the full vote center model will allow a voter to go to any location. In November, we weren't able to do that because it requires ballot printing equipment 
that we didn't have time to implement. So um, other than that, we were able to implement laptop computers so we could access, um, access voter registration records and we were able to really create a, an early framework that will help us move forward this year. Um, this, as you see on the outline, I've highlighted activities that we need to, to finish in this year and into next year. One of the things I'll be doing is bringing to your board, I anticipate in May, a resolution just formalizing this transition. Uh, so that we move forward with a formal um, mandate from the board. And I just wanted to touch on some of these, some of the work that we'll be doing. As I said, we, we will need to uh, identify our locations for vote centers and drop boxes, which 2020 gave us a real leg up on that work. And we will need to procure the ballot printing equipment so that when a voter goes into any of these locations, the, the vote center workers will be able to find that, uh, which ballot type the voter should use, and they'll be able to uh, print it out, or which will replace a vote by mail ballot, um, or we'll have the, the voting equipment that people can, that they can vote and then put a ballot into a Dropbox. Uh, the other thing we need to do is establish a language accessible uh, accessibility Advisory Committee. And uh, another requirement is a Voting Accessibility Advisory Committee, which we already have. That committee's been in place for a number of years. Those two committees, uh, the purpose will be to help guide us with some of the issues that either voters with disabilities have, that they'll help us as we, uh, as we put together the vote centers or language needs that we may need to present at vote centers. We also need to develop an election administration plan, <clears throat> which includes a voter education and, and outreach plan. And that is a very public process. It's a, an outline basically that includes proposed locations of vote centers and drop boxes. There's a list of about 15 criteria for when we're trying to find locations. And so we need to put that plan together so that we can take it out to the public and get feedback about where locations will be and, um, and give them the opportunity to give us other information that they may feel is important in this new model. And we are involving, of course, the election advisory committee in all this planning, we've already started in our meetings, giving them updates. We're going to start um, getting their input on various documents as we move forward. So they're, they're helping and they're being engaged early to help us <clears throat> work through this process. And then early uh, in, by the spring of 2022, we have to have our, um, we're, we're, we'll start developing the outreach component. There's a big outreach requirement to the public to get them uh, up to speed with the change of this model. And the other nice thing about November of 2020 is we had to do a lot of public outreach. And so our team was able to establish a big community group that is remains interested as we move to this implementation process. So 
we were able to also get that framework in place so that we've we can just pick up uh, from lessons learned in November and move forward when we need to start to outreach to the public about this change. And then lastly, in the spring, we'll need to just hold, make sure we hold our, our LAC and our VAC meetings so that by the time we get ready to uh, get the vote centers up and running, we'll, we'll be able to have the information that they provide about accessibility and language needs. So that's the high level overview. And I will take any questions that you have. Thank you, Linda. So bringing it back to, board, to the board for questions or comments. Supervisor Conley. Yeah, I can just comment real quickly. Thank you uh, for the work on this, Linda. Uh, we are uh, very enthusiastic that this uh, change is coming forward. Um, as you noted, we, we did have uh, more or less kind of a test run uh, this past election cycle uh, successfully. Um, one question is, as the vote centers come online, maybe just as a reminder, is that we know the phenomenon now is most people are registered to vote by mail, but they like the option of being able to drop it off at a at an actual uh, location. That could happen here. Could folks also register to vote? at the vote center? Yes, yes. And well. actually, that's been a component for a few years now, the same day registration, yeah, which people okay. could also do at polling places. And so there's a lot of pieces that have already been kind of put in place. But yes, people who aren't registered by the cutoff day will be able to go to any vote center and or our office will be one of those and register and vote. So this is really kind of a one-stop shop for democracy. It's yeah, it's really designed to to provide greater flexibility and convenience for voters. Great, thanks, uh, Supervisor Moulton Peters. Yeah, I just wanted to say thank you, Linda, for your work. It, it, this seems like a very comprehensive, well thought out plan to bring these vote centers into place. And I was just about to say, it sounds like greater flexibility <laughs> and uh, greater convenience and improved access for our voters. And that's what we want. Yes, thank, thank you. Thank you. Other comments or questions? Okay, thank you, Linda. Really thank appreciate it. You. Thank you. Thanks to you and your staff for another successful election. Thank you very much for that. Thank you, Linda. So now we're going to invite Elizabeth. Uh, um, drawing a blank here. Sorry. Yeah, Liz Lewis, uh, Lewis. from DPW <laughs> is going to join thank us you. to give us a couple of updates on um, improving our language trans translation services as well as phased in solid waste requirements uh, around Senate Bill 1383. Uh, good afternoon, uh, board members. Um, so yes, I wanted to just give you a, an update on the program that our, our disability access team, Lainey Davidson and Rafael Telez, have been working and collaborating with the CAO's office to ensure consistent language services to all departments and the community. Um, especially during the COVID, as we all know, this is uh, a truly important service. And so 
they are working to centralize um, about $200,000 in existing contracts and to ensure that in not, not only staff, but the community have access uh, to centralized services. And those include um, not only language services, but also services uh, for cart captioning and for sign language as well um, during this time. And so one of the initiatives uh, that they're working as part of centralizing and organizing these services for county departments, they're also working with the CAO's office to ensure that there's a place on the hub where uh, these services are organized and accessible to the county departments um, that need them. Okay, is there anything else, Liz? Yeah, so if I'll go ahead and I can transition to um, SB 1383. Um, okay, and then we can just follow up on that. So um, for those of you um, that are aware, back in 2016, the governor uh, signed into law SB 1383, which addresses uh, short-lived climate pollutants, primarily methane emissions created by organic materials. So food waste, uh, yard, vegetation debris, paper products. So this bill sets targets for the amount of organic materials that can be sent to the landfills. And these regulations become effective in January of 20, January 1, 2022. So uh, the Zero Waste uh, Management JPA that works with all the cities and towns, we have um, been doing some of this work, but this work is actually, it requires all jurisdictions um, to have an enforcement program for uh, the diversion of waste. And so this program, in addition to being implemented by our cities and towns with the support of a zero waste JPA, um, it really goes to all the departments. So implementation of this work is really gonna require um, the assistance of, of every department. You know, and listening to Lonnie's presentation about working with restaurants and uh, food waste and, and, and ensuring that, you know, food that can be recovered, that, that there's a pathway there, but then also what, what we're doing with the food that can be diverted perhaps for energy uh, reuse and, and energy production. So there's, there's a lot of different pathways that are being considered, but in terms of uh, county departments, we're working with our procurement division uh, headed up by Pauletta Jordan and looking at um, enforcement and policies for green procurement. So for example, with SB 1383, there will be requirements on the type of mulch that can be used uh, for all types of projects, projects at the Civic Center, all types of public projects. And so there'll be new project specifications that will be added um, to our engineering projects, our capital improvement projects for the use of this compost and mulch in, in all types of um, improvement projects around the county. Um, we're also working um, with the, the cities and towns on, and the franchise areas, a lot of this work is happening um, primarily through our garbage groups. So some of the towns and cities are actually taking the leads within the respective five franchise areas to lead some of this work. Um, but that still leaves the cities and towns to be responsible for, the, for things like their own ordinance development, as well as enforcement around that ordinance development. Um, and so this, this program is phased and uh, the first phase of it, as like I said, 
January 2021 is, is the first step, um, but there's several milestones uh, that are significant through 2025. And um, there's probably not enough time to cover everything um, around SB 1383 today, but I'd be happy to return to your board later this year to provide an update to talk about the uh, efforts that it will take um, to become compliant with SB 1383. Thank you, Liz. Questions, comments? I thought it was important for the board and the community to hear this discussion today, so thank you. One of my questions is around the coordination between the county and the cities and the franchisees holders to make sure there's a standardized system both for how this is done and then also how it's enforced because I think in the past it, it, everyone did think things a little differently and for our customer for our residents it was really hard to understand why their certain area had different rules than the other and so I wonder if you just discuss that a little bit and whether you think this uh, assembly bill will move us in that direction. So um, certainly the state through CalRecycle has put out a number of um, toolkits and resources. And so we've taken that um, a bit further working with some of our consultants in-house. Um, we've been working to develop some of the tools that will, will go out. Um, and certainly there's a lot to work out to ensure that there's consistency, uh, especially you know, to restaurants, supermarkets, all these places where um, you know, food waste could be generated to ensure that there's you know, consistency from city to town to the unincorporated areas. Thank you. Other comments or questions? Judy? You're Thank still you. on mute, Judy. Thank you. Um, do we have any... Um, word to uh for the restaurants that are picking up extra food that then you know they they take other places do we are we involved in that at all in in you know looking at it and make sure everything's right or is it just totally on the on the uh, responsibility from the uh the uh what's this called to the um the oh, to the, the restaurant well, yeah, but it's it, it's it's the um, nonprofits. Nonprofits. Is it up to them, or do we have a word in that? You know, I don't know if Lonnie is still here, but maybe um, Tom Lai could speak to that. But that is something we, you know, will continue to to coordinate that with Environmental Health Services. Okay, interesting. Okay, thanks. Other comments or questions? All right, thank you, Liz. Appreciate it. Thank you. So I think next we're going to have Angela come in. Um, yeah, your board had asked questions regarding the, the money that we set aside this year budget in, around racial equity and, on Monday. And I just wanted to give Angela an opportunity to give you uh, a summary of what we've spent or committed to date and what's remaining balance. Yeah, thank you, Matthew. I'm happy to be back, uh, board. Um, so the date um, of the uh, essentially, we had a, a um, 1.7 that you reallocated um, earlier in the year and um, a million that was a part of the original set aside for the equity budget. And to date, we've spent about a million 
Um, and that includes things like the bias sync contract, which is the tool that we're bringing into the county around bias and some additional training resources that will be specific modules to help departments as they kind of help to shift culture. Um, we have about a $50,000 contract um, with the external equity committee facilitator. That facilitator was selected by the external equity committee members. And um, we actually, tomorrow night, we'll be electing co-chairs, which will be from the community. And then we look forward to those co-chairs actually working with the equity subcommittee of Supervisors Rodoni and Moulton Peters as we start to work on initiatives and start to bring things back to your board. But uh, the initial idea was that we save some of those resources to make sure that the asks that community was directly having, that we would have um, some money set aside so that we could address some of the things that was coming directly out of that group. Um, your board allocated $400,000 yesterday to universal basic income. We've spent about, for this year, about 150,000 on the Safe Space, Safe Space Brave Space series and the external equity um, speaker series. We've got some money spent in, in um, our limited term salaries. Um, and then we've done some internal re results-based accountability trainings um, that are adding to that. Um, Anya has also provided kind of one-time allocations to a couple of community organizations as they've needed, needed it and contributed to the Martin Luther King um, Marin City doll drive. Um, so that kind of that kind of rounds out to about a million dollars. It's a little bit over a million that we've spent to date. Um, a lot of plans for the other money, but they're not allocated at this point. So I'm, I look forward to coming back to your board as we uh, are requesting to allocate those additional resources. And I'm happy to take any questions. Thank you, Angela. Questions, comments, Supervisor Rice. Yeah, not so much a, a question, just a, an observation. I'm I. Think we I don't want any think we want anyone to have the impression that the 1.7 million is the total amount of money that the county spends on equity initiatives. Um, and I I know we've heard that through these presentations, but I I think it's it'd probably be really good in the future to be sort of clear about that budget being specific around uh, the initiatives happening underneath the uh, Department of Equity, as it were but that all our departments um, have been, um, or most of them pushing forward initiatives that have uh, a heavy equity emphasis and certainly around COVID. So um, there's a, a lot more energy resource and focus on equity that goes beyond the specific work of um, Angela and Anya and team. Not to, not to diminish any of that work, it's much more focused, but it is certainly not um, the county's only investment or expenditure or area of focused interest. And to that point, I think the work of your board to put the equity impact statement into the board letters, um, the work of equity can't be a program. It's not a program. It's gotta be woven into every single department and every single function. And that's the work of the, of the equity division in our office is to really work with departments to make sure that's happening. Yeah. And I think personally, I'd like to know that within that uh, equity budget and um, of course, we have more. We have to do some allocation with the upcoming budget. That there is sort of some a discretionary pop there. So, and I think you mentioned that there's things that have come up for Anya, or that have come up that have gotten some more directed funding. But I do think there's probably opportunity for for smaller one-offs on very specific community level type projects or initiatives for which um, that there would be no other likely 
uh, funding source except through, I keep on calling it a department, but what do I call it? I expect that that will be something that we um, present to your board in the June, in our, in our June hearing, some, some kind of program around that, but that's a very, a well-taken point, Supervisor Price. Great, thank you. Thank you, other comments or questions of Angela? Okay, thank you, Angela, for that report. I think next we have Lori Fagoli and Otis Bruce that are going to make a presentation on the district attorney's work plan. Yeah, and particularly community engagement and yep. improving community engagement. So may I share my screen? Yes, you can share your screen. Yeah. Is it working? Yep. Okay, thank you. Um, thank you for giving us this opportunity to uh, tell you about the things that we've been doing since 2019. We did have an existing intern program in our office uh, before 2019, and staff has always been involved in coaching mock trial students of different um, high schools throughout the years. But in 2019, we really stepped up and actually took a step back to look at what our initiatives were and our policies were, and how could we improve those in alignment with not only the county's five-year plan, but really with a vision on equity and, and improving the diversity in our office, frankly. So, and um, in 2019, we did some interesting new and different things we'd never done before. Uh, we became members of the Juvenile Justice and Delinquency Prevention uh, Commission. Uh, we made presentations in numerous high schools with particular focuses on what does a DA do? How does the social justice system really work? Uh, we had our, our juvenile deputy district attorney accompany us on um, a couple of occasions. And then we went into the local schools and we're talking to the students and particularly informing them about restorative justice and youth court and other programs that were going on in the courthouse that they might not have been aware of before. Um, and when we had rot Rotary students and other students job shadow us, we made sure that we went to different departments and introduced those students on a career day or whatever the day was to not only our department, but we took them out to the Prandy Center and next door to probation to talk to them and, um, and, and to the public defender's office and down to court so that they really kind of got the full picture of what we're doing here. So um, we were really excited to do that. For the first time ever, we were involved in the Career Explorer program. So that was, I think, a historic moment, but um, this picture here, we're really proud of it because uh, in the year 2019, Otis Bruce really went above and beyond to get a diverse group of students from high schools, law schools, and colleges to come intern in our office. And he went above and beyond to make sure they mentored one another because they were at different levels in their educations and their lives and um, where they were at career-wise. And then also, they were mentored by not only themselves as students, but also a variety of employees in our office, whether it was an investigator or one of our legal support staff or one of our prosecutors. So that was really successful. But since then, we've taken it up to another level. And um, that was mentioned in number five of our work plan that we submitted to you. So I would like Mr. Bruce now to tell you about his vision and what he has been implementing to take our outreach to the community and particularly the youth to uh, a higher level with diversity and really with a vision of improving the cultural culture and equity and diversity in our county family. 
So Otis, take it away. Yes, uh, thank you, uh, DA Lori Fagoli, and thank you, President Rodani and Board of Supervisors, Matthew Haimo. Uh, <clears throat> I saw the, uh, uh, Lori brought to my attention that the supervisors wanted us to elaborate on the focus uh, of community engagement with the emphasis on demystifying some of the issues around justice, social justice, restorative justice program, and what we have done and continue to do respect to outreach and engagement of the local high schools and colleges, uh, uh, resource uh, organizations, apprenticeship organizations uh, in the county. First, I will let you, let you all know that this whole uh, perspective uh, did not start just during COVID. It started before COVID. Uh, the county, uh, uh, this county and you respected board of supervisors implemented and passed the five-year business plan, which was very focused. And um, <clears throat> what I did was I really went to uh, page 13, the focus one area of creating an inclusive organization. I actually went to page 15 and 16, uh, uh, 15 was your uh, focus area number three, investing in career development, uh, growth and programs and services and initiatives. I also went back and studied very closely your representation of focus area four, which was strengthening effective communication and increasing engagement, information sharing uh, to create a better county and better services to our community. So in that light, knowing what the action items that were put in that five-year business plan and the metric that was set out to accomplish those items, uh, the, the, uh, when uh, Lori uh, became DA, she actually asked me to uh, serve not only as assistant DA, but serving in the role of uh, student internship and career development, uh, social justice, equity, and community liaison coordinator, as well as program director of Victor Witness Services uh, Unit. And <clears throat> so what I what I uh, sought to do in the spirit of, of the county's five-year uh, plan, which uh, was to be effective from 2015 to 2020, is to <clears throat> engage our colleagues in the office and staff to create a, a community engagement and outreach uh, office committee uh, to look at the specific deputy DAs who would be really in, interested in being on the restorative justice committee and another committee involving uh, the version of cases. And then outside of our office in, in, in the spirit of uh, uh, your focus area, number one, creating an inclusive organization, um, being around this county for 30 years and working in different capacities, but specifically working in our justice system. Uh, when uh, Marlon Washington came on board as our new probation officer, uh, chief uh, officer, and then there's a, a public defender in our county, a senior ranking public defender, Mr. Liddell Dangerfield, who's African-American gentleman, bilingual and Spanish, uh, very, uh, centered or our co uh, community engagement and uh, career, we actually had a discussion. I shared with them the program that I put together in 2019 where I specifically wanted to uh, recruit 14 students ages 16 to 57 uh, from the high schools, uh, uh, colleges, law schools, and grad schools in, in a diverse background. And I chose students from Town High, Novato High, uh, 
about uh, San Rafael High, Jewish Family Community Center, uh, other, uh, several other organizations that reached out to me and, and, and uh, wanted to assign those students to our program. Another thing I talked to uh, Liddell and them about, they were excited about that accomplishment. It was a very successful program, which had been or has been recognized by the Marin uh, HR department, volunteer coordinators, Ann Starr and Joy Fawcett as the intern team of the year for 2019 to 2020. So in sharing that with Liddell and Marlon, I've really focused on what this county's five-year plan is and what it emphasizes. So being three African-American men professionals, county professionals, we realized it was the first time in the history of the county that you have three African-American men who are either in leadership positions or service positions in the history of the county. And we thought it was an ideal opportunity for us to collaborate on a joint panel, probation, public defender, and district attorney in an outreach effort to talk to county high school students, uh, a nonprofit uh, service and leadership community groups about who we are, how we, why we decided to work in this county, how we develop our careers, why we continue to work in this county and be in the position that we are are currently in serving the public uh, and what we intend to do to influence the county's five-year equity plan or five-year business plan. And that um, effort was started like in October. We have spoken to at least, I would say close to 225 uh, high school students in various forms. We've spoken to several uh, professional and community uh, 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 leaders and influencers in Marin City, uh, San Rafael, Nevada, and another program we, we, we reached out to to support was the Marin County School Law Enforcement Partnership. And our effort was embraced by Mayor Jane Burke uh, and uh, uh, Sheriff Bob Doyle. And they thought that uh, the collaboration that we were emphasizing was really important so as a consequence, uh, Mayor Jane Burke invited us to uh, create a subcommittee, a subcommittee uh, on the SLEP uh, program, which will include collaborations of schools, law enforcement, and, and, and uh, reaching out and talking to the students and promoting an a voice of equity and inclusion <clears throat> from us to the community in the, in the spirit of career school to careers and school to uh, careers and apprenticeship. What we have realized that there's too much, too much or too many conversations around school to prison pipeline. And we don't wanna talk about that anymore. We wanna talk about school to careers, school to uh, apprenticeships. Uh, we want to be frontline influencers for change and opportunities for more careers and career opportunities in this county. So, <clears throat> In that spirit, we actually uh, wrote out a plan and still developing the plan where we are not only just Marlon and I and uh, Liddell, we actually thought about the county, who in the county was in leadership and mentorship or influencer positions that can join us at some point, including uh, our colleagues from the Marin, off, uh, Marin uh, Latino organization uh, Maple and actually Kamea, but we want at some point 
we're going to reach out to uh, Brian Washington. Uh, I've already talked out to uh, Mr. Robert Bonner. I've already talked to Roger Crawford. I've talked to Dorn Hill. He's the project manager in the DPW uh, and uh, Terry Wright. And uh, we also uh, spoken to uh, Ms. B our HHS director, Benita McLaren. She, she has indicated she wants to be involved. And, uh, and not only that, Kiana Davis, uh, Gail Page, uh, Dominique Burton, uh, you know, Muse, Eva Patterson, Chantel Walker, Liz Darby, Ramona Little Taylor, and Aisha Ishmael. This is a diverse group of African-Americans of those of African descent leaders in this county where we can be a very powerful, powerful influences in mentorship and career development in this county if, if people realize the resources that you have. I often like to say that Matthew mentions the county family and you can't influence the outside of our organization if you don't really influence the inside. You can't really impact diversity on the outside if you don't look at who's at the inside at your table. And why knowing that for the first time in this history, we got at least five or six African-American men who are in very important position for this county that can represent very well when we, if we can get the support, we do have the support and get the continued support. <clears throat> and what I mean by uh, reaching out, uh, the restorative justice, we're talking about doing a restorative justice collaboration with Ms. Rochelle Edwards from Transformative Institute, a Justice Institute, uh, Pastor Marcus Small, who has a restorative practice, Don Carney, the Marin Youth Court, who now uh, is now titled uh, Youth Transformative Justice, Sydney Ayala, the Marin Probation Restorative Justice Coordinator, and uh, the local high school have their own restorative justice program on campus. Uh, for example, the one that's ran by Katie Cobb Van Houston in Nevada High School. So we will be speaking to these groups on an ongoing basis or as invited, uh, specifically about how do you get jobs in the county? How do you fill out the applications? How, what is the, the, the application process from minimal qualification to high qualification ranking to first round interviews to second round interviews and tell our stories. I mean, between Liddell and Marlon and I, we have 73 years of government service. And I think that is something to be valued and to be respected, but we can only have it valued and respected if, if, if we respect ourselves and we're willing to contribute on that level. So with that, with that said, um, I'm glad you asked that question because now it gives me a, a, a chance to really appreciate Lori Fagoli as our DA who actually has really, really worked hard to implement change in around our office and providing opportunities on, uh, in our office for training and development, career development and opportunities uh, uh, beyond uh, those that have been out there before. And lastly, I, I will say this, we, we do a lot in studying data and measuring data and, uh, and, and to increase change. But where we can really benefit ourselves in 22 departments, I'm hoping that Marlon and I and Liddell can create a model for other departments to join us or collaborate on their own. I know that Angela Nicholson is really working on something right now 
and they, Marlon and I have been invited to be mentors in, those, in that process. I welcome that opportunity. And if, um, but we have to take the action and use the metrics that you put in your plan. You, we, really, we really have to serve the public. Uh, and just observing that uh, the income disparity that uh, Max uh, Corton just presented there, that was very disturbing to me that the medium income for African-Americans in this county is $48,000. And then the top income, the, the, the medium income for the average resident is $123,000. Something's wrong there. And if we cannot hire, train, develop our local high school students, our local fathers and mothers who are transitioning or uh, out of the criminal justice back to the workforce or those who really want to apply the jobs here. We're really gonna have a problem for many, many years, but we are there. We are there. I really am proud of this board of supervisors, what you all have done and what you continue to do for this county. But let's work with who we have in our building to show the rest of the world and the Bay Area how things could be done in, a, in, a, in the spirit of equity, inclusion and justice and service to all. Thank you. I'll take any questions. Lori, any additional comments? No, I just want to thank the board for um, your interest in this and we appreciate your support. And um, I'm pretty sure I could tell by watching, I think everybody uh, heard and appreciated uh, our program and how uh, wonderfully Otis explained it, so. Thank you. Questions or comments from board members? Supervisor Moulton-Peters. Uh, I wanna thank you, Lori, and also Otis. What you just explained is a really marvelous and comprehensive initiative on your part. And, and I, I'm so impressed by it. Um, so my one question is we, we have heard a lot about various uh, connections with our county departments uh, and local uh, community organizations and schools about job connections and development. And I just wonder if there's a, there'll be some coordination among all these efforts uh, the, the, on the receiving end uh, in the community. It could be welcome, but overwhelming. And so I just wonder, uh, and maybe that's a question for Angela, uh, just wondering how this all uh, hangs together. Well, uh, Supervisor Moulton-Peters, um, uh, uh, thank you for that question. Um, in Marin County, as you know, there are only 2.9% African-Americans in the population here. So that's not a big uh, population of people to serve. And there's 16% of Latinos in this county. That's not a really big population to serve. And uh, I hope we, we get to a point in our respective and wonderful, marvelous Marin County uh, to a point where there are no more underserved communities in this county that all of these counties are served. We would never be able to speak about an underserved community or no child left behind or no father or mother who's unemployed. So it comes from being a professional 30 years in this county. I've only worked one career, my whole career in New Marine. I never worked anywhere else. So how can I explain that to a, a, a someone in Marin City? They know. I can explain it to Jameer Reynolds. I really like his program and how I can explain to him to show the picture of the students that we have there. And his question is gonna be, how can I get some students out of Grand City 
or some aspiring high school students or young aspiring professionals to get to the county to where they can be in that picture uh, and, and, and have that opportunity. One thing I was telling to connect with Luis, who runs the Career Explorers. That's a really a model program. So when Luis reached out to me and said, Otis, I don't have enough students. We don't have enough applicants from Marine City. So it's my obligation to carry that mantra. I would go to Marine City. I would go to Jameer Renners or Felicia Gaston or Betty Hodges and say, you have anybody from 16 years to 22, they have a great program to get some students into entry-level jobs or at least internship. So what that means is we need more frontline influencers. We need people who are on the ground because we can be in a room all we want to study data, but if we don't have enough of us, I know it's time consuming, but this is the work that needs to be done. And, uh, and I'm willing to do it. I've been doing it for many, many years in this county Bay area. And I'm willing to do more on that level, but I can't be all things to all people. So I'm willing to step aside and bring in somebody like Liddell Dangerfield or Terry Wright in probation or Dorn Hill that's in DPW and allow them to have an opportunity to do the same. Thank you, Otis, that helps. Other comments or questions, board members? If I could add to that, Super- Go ahead, um, Angela, yeah. Would you see that, um, I think that really is the space that the Marin, um, the equity office really needs to, um, to step in and hold that space to really make sure that um, initiatives that we are being consistent across initiatives. It's really, it's not, you know, to Otis's point, it's not just about internships or volunteering. It's about actually creating sustainable wage um, job path, job career paths into the county of Marin. And so that's something that Sophia Martinez in our office and our equity team is working on and holding those spaces with with Otis, who's doing the work, and with um, you know um, Luis Luciano, who's doing the Career Explorer programs, which really works in the summers, and with Liz Darby, who's doing outreach. There's just a lot of people, and making sure that we're bringing that together so that we have consistent messaging. And I, I think that is a space that the Equity Office wants to wants to be in. So thank you, thank you. And I and I just to those two points, the connections in the community are really important, and they resonate. But if you, we don't get out of our offices and meet our community face-to-face, -to, -face, um, to quote something Otis says often, you don't know what you don't know. And in our case, people don't know who they don't know. So, you know, and that's on us. And so we are taking that, um, that burden with joy, but it's also a lot of hard work. And so we appreciate the support for that. And it has, we've already seen, um, frankly, our last application that we had, I think was threefold more than any applications we've ever had before. So we need to just, do this full court press. So, and we're committed to that with uh, some assistance. So, Lord. Other questions or comments? Thank you all very much. Yeah, I think, yeah, thank you both. I think the starting with the photograph and seeing the smiles on those faces of those young people says it all. And then you summed it up so well. In, in your conversation. So this is such a worthwhile program and and we just look forward to hearing more about it. Thank you. You should have seen their smiles when they were walking on the court floor down to court with <laughs> the people. It was, it was really joyful and inspiring. So thank you. Yeah, terrific. So now we're going to um, 
We're going to move to public comment next, but I wanted to give anyone on the board to comment on something that we may have missed uh, that they might want to bring back in June at the June uh, uh, budget sessions. I'll start and kick this off. We did not talk much about our emergency preparedness and our um, infrastructure capital improvement programs today, which are two high priorities for the county. And I'd like to suggest, and I think Matthew actually suggested to me that we bring these back in June to discuss those a little more in depth. Uh, related to emergency preparedness, um, one thing I wanted to mention is that we're, we're going to be asking for budget in this next budget year to actually kick off an evaluation review of the OES system at Marin County, just to make sure we're well positioned for our future going forward around emergencies and how we address them and how we respond, including how we recover from them. So I'm looking forward to that that opportunity to have that discussion. And then around the capital improvement program, we know we have a lot of different maintenance. Some things are coming up more quickly than others like the Marin Center, but I do think we need to discuss what our, our plans are to address some of those issues. So um, thank you for Matthew, Matthew for agreeing to bring those forward in June. Is there anything else that um, we may have missed from the board's perspective before we go to public comment and get comments on the afternoon session? Yes, Supervisor Rice. Yeah, I just want to um, wanted to echo uh, the desire to have something come back in June. And I was even thinking of a more uh, something similar to what you did, what our folks did during these hearings, uh, some sort of cross-departmental presentation focused on emergency preparedness and resiliency and, and even communications. I think it's we got multiple departments working on things that are interrelated. And one, it's another opportunity to show that cross collaboration, but also um, a way to get us teed up for the next round of, of emergencies that come our way. But um, also recognizing that everyone needs a little bit of breathing room as we manage through COVID. So that was, that was on my list as well, uh, um, as, was, as was thinking about Marin Center in terms of infrastructure just the heavy use that it's gotten over the last couple of years. I mean, I know we have some major upgrades in mind over you know, major improvements um, uh, and investment for long-term, but I'm just even wondering if there isn't some short-term, near-term needs or just um, maintenance uh, to shore it up after some heavy use the last few years to get us ready for the fall. So those were two things related to what you said on my list. I have a couple other thoughts, but I'll save them for the end. Any any requests from board members? Yes. Yeah, I David. think I'm going to cover everything in the closing remarks. Actually, any any other direction for Matthew? Okay, we'll go to public comment now. Al, please. Okay, the first speaker is Terry Dowling. Terry, please unmute, and you have the option to. I'm sorry, Terry dropped off. Uh, the next speaker is speaker with telephone number ending in seven zero one. Please unmute. And President Rodoni, how many minutes? Let's do two, please, Al. Good. Okay. Color, go ahead. Color with telephone number ending in 701, you have to um, mute your device.
looks like they're having trouble out. Oh, there we go. Yeah, here we go. Oh, all good. Thank you. It just takes a little while to figure out the logistics. Linda Jackson, I am with the Aging Action Initiative. I've listened into a lot of this, um, supervisors, and it's just been so uh, rewarding to observe the systemic change that I see in the county um, structure going on, and particularly with the partnerships that are happening, um, and not just with the schools, but with the professionals that I work with in the aging um, services world. Uh, I just want to note on page 14 of the budget, there's a population trends by age and projections. And in 2010, there were more school kids than there were people who were over 65. That's now completely changed. Uh, and at the end of this decade that we're in, we're going to have twice as many people over 65 as under 17. So this is why we do our work in advocacy to talk about being prepared. And we do it through the lens of equity for older adults. Uh, part of that with, with homelessness, I really uh, hope that we can be uh, working together on uh, expanding services. That means uh, awareness of what it is to be older and homeless and, and more vulnerable, as well as not just, um, you know, in services and money, but in housing and in um, in taking care of older people who lose their homes. The second one is for Detect and Connect. We have a very successful program. It's been funded by a grant from Marin, uh, from MHSA, and we would love to continue offering this program. We've taught almost a thousand people already about how to communicate with someone who's acting confused in public, be it from dementia or mental health. It would only be another hundred thousand to continue this another year, and we'd like you to reconsider reauthorizing this funding for this proven and effective program. Thank you so much. President Rodoni, there are no additional speakers in the queue. Thank you. So we're going to come back to Matthew for any follow-up conversations here. President Rodoni, I hate to interrupt you. Oh, I'm sorry, uh, Terry, raise her hand and then lower it again. Uh, never mind. She might be having trouble. If there she is again. Terry, we're, we're going to you next. Um, Please unmute and you have the option to share video. Great, thank you so much. Good afternoon. Um, my name is Terry Dowling and I'm co-chair of the Aging Action Initiative and I'm a commissioner on the Marin Commission on Aging. Commission of Supervisors, I really wanna thank you for supporting the implementation of the county's age-friendly plan. The age-friendly plan speaks to that interconnection of housing, mobility, community services, disaster preparedness, and social connection. This really must be a higher priority for the county. Please, please note, I'm sure it wasn't intentional, but please note that the age-friendly plan is listed last on the 21-22 Health and Human Services Work Plan. It's, it's really time to reimagine what the county structure would look like if we were to look through the age-friendly lens for people of all ages and abilities, this requires us to imagine how we can do things better and differently. I ask the supervisors to add the consideration of structural or systemic change that would enable county staff to do things better and differently for the 70,000 older people and people with disabilities living in Marin County much as has been achieved 
in the criminal justice and homeless services programs. Thank you very much for listening to me. I appreciate it. President Rodoni, there are no additional speakers in the queue. Okay, I'm gonna bring it back to Matthew for follow-up items. All right, well, uh, supervisors, I will certainly follow up on the two public comments that we heard. I also wanna really just step back and thank you for over 10 hours of listening to uh, our informational workshop. You know, with over 200 different county programs, over 22 different departments. It's always hard to kind of summarize and give you a sense of the things we're working on, but we wanted to certainly give you a highlight of some of our collaboration and our highest priority items. And, and before we get your closing comments, I just wanna bring us back to our overall goal on the budget is that we still need to balance the structural deficit uh, over the next five years. So we'll turn our attention to that over the next few months. And then I think an, another unique uh, opportunity we have is how we allocate these one-time funds because we really have you know, more one-time funds than we typically have. And so to do that in a thoughtful way over the next couple of years, I think will be really important decisions for our community and for your board. And, and we also have to find out how we match those funds up correctly, uh, given the federal requirements on some of the, the COVID relief funds. And so that's the task before us. Um, I also wanna make sure that you know that, you know, taking us back to some of the follow-up items that we identified on Monday, we know we'll be following up on homeless program enhancements, the Home Key 2.0, um, working with our cities around the mobile crisis teams, um, expanding crisis intervention training to police agencies, um, trying to get to 90% by the end of the year, um, following up on our internal and external racial equity plan, looking at the long-term jail population and studying uh, that population and the policies that influence the population over time, um, the long-term juvenile hall options, uh, once we get a little bit more clarity from the state as to what that population will be. Uh, again, working with our Women's Commission on the Marin-based pilot for the sexual assault team uh, in Marin. Uh, and then of course, our high priority areas such as racial equity, climate change, COVID response and emergency preparation. So I just, before you give your closing comments, I wanna make sure, you know, you know that we're starting with that understanding uh, as our follow-up and certainly happy to hear additional comments or issues you'd like us to take a look at in the coming months. Thank you, Matthew. So now we're gonna to move to Board of Supervisors closing comments, closing statements. We'll start with Supervisor Conley. Thank you, and, and thank you for all the work that went into making the preliminary budget hearings this week very worthwhile. Uh, Matthew and your team, our great staff, members of the public who uh, tuned in and weighed in, and my colleagues as well. As we all remember, our previous budget hearing was held during the awakening of communities nationwide in response to racism, violence, and other forms of hate. Sadly, this week's hearings were also shrouded with the grim loss of innocent Asian and Pacific Islander lives. The senseless gun violence in Boulder, Colorado weighs heavily on all of us. 
as an elected and a member of our community, I will continue to work for our values of equity, justice, respect, and unity. I'm happy to see collaboration in practice through the budget process, and that truly was a theme this week. The presentations reflect how work and reform are happening, and I would like to see this practice continue. Our justice and health and human services partners continue to come together in the Criminal Justice and Behavioral Health Committee to break the revolving door that leads many of our residents with behavioral issues on an endless cycle between the streets, the back of an ambulance or patrol car and the jail. The collaborative efforts across departments was reflected in the presentation of our justice partners during this hearing. Encampments and the well-being of people living in them and the community impacts are a priority and residents are correct in asking for a clear vision and a path forward. We know our strategies are successful. Coordinated entry and a housing first model are the cornerstones of that success. The monumental effort to identify and secure housing, provide services, and operationalize a funding opportunity, such as Project Home Key 2.0, is not lost on me. I want to thank staff for your ongoing efforts in the community for their patience and support. Supervisor Arnold and I lead the Marin Economic Recovery Task Force to provide information exchange, state and federal advocacy, and develop an economic vitality strategic plan. In September 2020, we applied for grant funding to support a strategic planning process and expect a decision in the coming weeks. We plan to move forward with a robust and inclusive economic strategic plan. As we look at our economy, we need to challenge ourselves and identify opportunities to address inequality at the local level, where economic forces impact housing, health, income, education, and other quality of life measures. Our workforce development strategies will play a key role. Strategic planning will dovetail with emerging efforts like the Workforce Alliance of the North Bay's Employer Advancement and Retention Network, or EARN. The goal is to create a stakeholder network where members enhance business vitality and talent retention through efficient and effective use of local resources. In the years ahead, we will need to rely on our diverse and talented staff to address global challenges like climate change and sea level rise. I would like to have a clear picture of where we stand specifically regarding employee retention at a disaggregated and actionable level. I'm pleased that Drawdown Marin is engaging environmental efforts with justice and inclusion in mind and will continue to be a way of tapping into the energy and vision of dedicated Marin County residents. I want our budget to reflect the urgency in addressing climate change and meeting our 2045 goal of zero emissions. In the June budget hearing, I would like to see the continuation of joint budget presentations in cross-departmental and countywide priorities, including equity, an equity budget outlining existing efforts, priorities, and allocations, 
clarity on our workforce retention metrics with an emphasis on turnover and disaggregated data at an actionable level to identify possible supports and services. An update from the jail pod closing working group. Options for the permanent expansion of the mobile crisis teams. Funding to address the urgency of climate change and environmental justice. And a timeline for bringing forward a reusable foodware ordinance. The coronavirus's global impact offers a sobering look at how a global crisis can stress our systems and infrastructure. As we have seen through this budget process, we are more effective when our departments work together. I again want to thank staff, partners, and the community for being actively engaged. A special thank you to all who work to uplift our community. Thank you. Thank you, Supervisor Rice. Yeah, thank you. Um, it seems like more than 10 hours somehow, but <laughs> uh, it has been a really interesting three days and I appreciate um, all the work, uh, Matthew, that you're in your you and your team has put into it and, and the folks that participated today and I know are over the last three days and I know there's more than that. I guess I, I want to start off and I, I just I don't think um, we can really help it given every day and every every presentation um, there was uh, um, was marked by and influenced by the experience we've had with COVID and with this past year. And, and I just want to thank all all of our county staff, all the, the civil servants countywide who have actually been helping in the COVID response, our community partners. Uh, the nonprofits, the the Marin Community Foundation, and the many many residents who have volunteered their time and their help and their service, either you know on an organized government um, response effort or or at something that's more local and grassroots and homegrown. I'm really proud of the way um, this county, both the organization itself and the county at large. Everyone in it has um, responded to COVID and managed um, through a really tough time. I think we have a lot to be proud of. And also, um, I think we've learned a lot as well. Um, secondly, I can't even imagine, Matthew, how you and your budget team have uh, managed not just through this year, um, but then developing this initial budget, given how fluid it has been in terms of the variables and ups and downs coming from the state and the federal government and um, the combined with the really urgent and critical needs in terms of having to get programs and projects out the gate and out um, onto the streets to our residents. It's, uh, I can't even, I, I wouldn't wanna be Brett, you know, you couldn't pay me to be Brett up and all, that's for sure. Um, but anyway, um, you've all managed to do this. Um, I trust that we are whole. I trust you all and I just, Still can't believe how you all managed to look so unflustered through it out. But anyway, um, excellent work and, and thank you so much. So I too really appreciate the focus during this, these meetings on um, sharing on how the county is approaching our community's most challenging issues in this cross-departmental collaborative fashion. So interdepartmentally and then with our partners uh, outside of county government as well. And as Angela said earlier today, she said, we are most effective 
Uh, we are more effective and more efficient when we work together. And I would add, I think I, um, it's also been shown that we are more creative and innovative and the products uh, coming out in the community are just that much better. I think we also learn when we work together that um, in the words of Otis Bruce, we don't always know what we don't know and we learn a lot more when we're working with folks we don't usually work with. So um, really appreciate this approach and the movement that this county and our departments and our employees have made and get in terms of getting out of their silos. Um, with regards to the budget and looking forward to June, um, so we, um, some observations first. Uh, clearly this is, as you said, Matthew, a unique opportunity and, and that we're gonna need to consider this budget in the context of the funding, the one-time funding that's coming to us vis-a-vis -vis the Federal Recovery Act and other stimulus monies. And given that we don't have all the details around the restrictions and um, fle or flexibility around those monies, um, I think we, we're gonna need to wait to see how that pencils out and trusting you and your team to do that analysis and then develop the strategy of how we use those monies, complementing complementing ours towards maximizing um, our effectiveness in budgeting towards meeting the needs that the that the, uh, that the restricted funding is aimed at, the federal money, but then also really leveraging our money so that to, we can meet the, the, um, the own, our own community need, needs, um, really maximizing the impact of our own local one-time monies, um, not just towards, uh, towards, towards responding to the recovery, um, but towards um, our other emerging issues, our ongoing issues, and, and you've said that more than once. So in the development of this one-year budget, and I guess I would ask at this point, um, it seems funny to be doing these one-year budgets, and I hope next year we'll move to a two-year budget cycle again, but this is a one-year budget this time, and I think it's really important that we stay focused, though, while we develop a one-year budget on the long-term community priorities that, as we know, have required a multi-year and sustained effort, and they are, as you have listed, Initially, this COVID response and recovery, which we know will go on for several years, the equity work, um, which is a singular focus, and then also um, an overarching uh, focus that has to cross all departmental lines and all of our work. Climate change and sea level rise, affordable housing, emergency preparedness and, and community resilience, and infrastructure improvements. And those have been identified by us, by our community members, and we need to stay focused there, not to, not to say that there aren't other areas or issues we focus on, but those seem to be the, definitely the top five. And I, and I do think it makes sense with regards to our one-time monies that we keep them in the same general categories um, of, of those, those five, those six areas. Uh, and maybe where we don't have specific uh, allocations at this point, but I would say that, that those would be the general categories. I'd put those one-time monies uh, towards recognizing there might be some other one-time needs that come up um, outside of those. And then finally, as an observation, and you mentioned it as well, um, while we are seemingly flush with one-time monies at this moment, we're not flush in terms of the ongoing revenue sources that make up our general fund. So while we're in much better shape than we were, we thought we'd be in back in November, um, we're still in shortfall if all Brett's assumptions hold true and we are gonna need a long-term strategy 
to address the budget shortfall. And um, I look forward to your work on that and hearing more in June. So I think that in terms of um, requests that haven't come up, um, I've mentioned them during the course of the, of the hearings. I am on the suicide prevention work and the suicide uh, prevention collaborative, we did fund that co a coordinator position for two years and I believe this will be the second year coming. And I know coming out of that work and Jay mentioned it as well, um, they're wanting to initiate uh, what's called a loss team and it requires a startup cost. It is, it is actually a volunteer driven project and program uh, evidence-based that's worked in other communities. And I'd um, like Matthew to look into uh, seeing if we can help fund a match with Health and Human Services to get that going. On the homelessness front, you mentioned um, some areas there. I, I really think it's important that we make sure we've got the right um, support for our dedicated staff, the right support in place or the ability to leverage support to coordinate um, or support the facilitation of any home key projects that might come down the pike. I also think that our homelessness uh, team uh, is stretched and actually um, is not necessarily, their, their job assignments don't include the kind of community outreach and engagement that Supervisor Arnold has talked about and we talked about when the homelessness, um, with when Ashley was presenting. And that's gonna be key to keeping our progress on in housing folks in the years to come. We've got a, we and the, and the cities and towns need to work together. And a lot of that work has to involve engaging and educating and helping the broader community understand how housing works, how housing first works. Um, let's see, I wanted to ask if you could look into in the coming months, um, what's going on in our childcare world. I know the childcare industry has been really hard hit, not just in terms of uh, families in need of childcare or losing their ability to, um, to fund childcare, but also generally capacity. And I'm wondering if there might be some short-term, you know, one or two year needs to help support our childcare infrastructure, whether that's subsidized slots or what have you. So I, if you could look into that didn't come up, but it's been on my mind. Um, and then uh, lastly, um, uh, similarly, our nonprofits in all areas have been hit really hard by COVID, lost a lot of their um, discretionary, or their, a lot of their fundraising revenue. And um, I'm wondering if we shouldn't be considering potentially doing a, a, a one-year uh, beef up of our nonprofit community partners program, partnership program, that grant program. Um, and I would be interested if, to see if my colleagues might agree with that, but it, it, it seems like it could be timely. Um, maybe those are one-time funds that could come out of the relief monies. And then lastly, um, lastly, I, I'm uh, wondering, and not now, but and this is less of a funding item than is just a general resource, human resource item. Um, is there going to be a place, and I think there is, to do some sort of more formal lessons learned around COVID and the pandemic at either, and either a collective, in a collective way, or even a department by department, and there'll be a right time to do that, but um, I think it's, it's probably a, a, a worthy exercise, so I would leave it to you to sort of 
think about that, Matthew, and maybe we can discuss at a later date. But uh, again, thank you and your team, and thank you, colleagues. I think that I think one of the reasons Marin County has been as successful as we have been is because um, we've all we've stood together and really been supportive of our folks that have been leading the charge in the emergency response and our public health officials. And I think that's made a huge difference for our residents. So anyway, thank you. Thanks to you all too. That's it. Thank you, Dennis. Yep, Supervisor Arnold. Got to unmute, Judy. Yeah. I am. Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah, go ahead. Yep. Okay. Um, well, this has been the first budget that we've done since COVID. And uh, as my colleagues before me have said and pointed out, um, the changes that have come from that, we have not yet realized. Um, and we should, I'm proud of how we've dealt with it. Um, I know you mentioned, uh, Katie, that that uh, the, the Matthews team um, just keeps going. But I want you to know, Matthew, when I see you in the hall and I say, how are you doing? Your, your answer is, I can tell, I can hear the, the exhaustion in it. <laughs> I'm doing okay. So, you know, I always think, well, let's make, let's make Matthew stay a little happier. And you have done an, a great job, you and your team in presenting this budget. And it's a, it's a new budget as far as we have never done this before. I find that it's been very, uh, very educational. And, and I mean, just to hear, for example, what the Compass does was, um, was interested in, in something that we should know. So it, it, what, at some point in time, I think we're going to, we need to sit down and say, what did COVID do? And and just let it all maybe at the top of Mount Tam. Um, the recommendations, I Katie mentioned this also. Um, I think one of the most important things that we can do is if we have even a whisper of a of a, a home key project coming, I think you've got to let us know. Um, because, I mean, even, even some of the state elected officials, when we had the, the uh, you know, the, had to deal with um, the, in Marin, they said, you did, you know, you couldn't have voted for that. It wasn't even given two days. I think you had a, a chance or a whisper of it, but you wanted to wait. And I understand that, but I think going forward, we need to know, know it right away so that we can get out there because housing is critical. And we see that more and more each year when, when but you know, like this, like the COVID, it, it's just, um, we're just gonna have to, to face it and come up with a way to present it, but also to be, to be, um, have the courage to say, we've got to do this. And so um, that, that was that. Also, I know that we have, um, we have 
nonprofits that that are coming and working on this. And I want to just really, I think they're doing a wonderful job. I want to thank them. I want to just give you a, a, a short impact report from North Marin Community Services, which our, which our county uses to help go work on COVID. But here's what they've done. Um, they've helped 1,714 people stay in their homes and avoid homelessness or relocation by providing $1,118,000 in direct payments to landlords. Um, the, we're helping, they're helping an increasing number of clients with anxiety, depression, trauma, substance abuse, and other challenges. Our expanded team of trained mental health counselors continue to utilize telementing health and have served 307 adults and children virtually. Additionally, 85 teen, teen members have, have accessed our Novato Teens Clinics reproduction, uh, reproductive and behavioral health services remotely and in person when necessary. They have provided 165 children from preschool through middle school with remote bilingual educational support from March 16th to the end of the 2020 school year. Students also enjoy a healthy meal plan, transportation and school. This is just an example of about eight things that they've done. But I think it's important that we recognize that because they're working hard they're, they're feeling like our staff. And then I just really want to end with thanking our staff. The, the amazing thing that you've done between balancing your, your day job with your emergency job is, is, is worth an Oscar nomination, really. It's, uh, and we all recognize it and we all appreciate it. And uh, really, I, I will just end with that, thanking our staff, thanking those who are working one, two, and three jobs. You know, you mean the world to us. We see it, and we're proud of you. Thanks. Thank you, Supervisor Moulton-Peters. What, uh, what a nice closing, Supervisor Arnold, to um, come right behind you. I agree. When I arrived here, there was a sense of esprit de corps in this organization that was palpable. And so as a newcomer, I can just say, I walked into a place that was humming with activity and people had their chins up and they were going about business, whether it was entirely different than what they'd originally come here to do, they were completely dedicated to doing it. So I applaud everyone, uh, really. Your dedication and your willingness to jump in with both feet is palpable. So I wanna thank Matthew and our staff for a really great effort on this budget and work plan planning effort. It reflects months of reflection and forethought and problem solving and moving resources around and uh, summarizing it in, in such an innovative way with the interdepartmental presentations. That is really uh, groundbreaking to me and, and how we operate really in getting the job done for our community. So it's wonderful to see this reflected in these presentations, which were so well given by our staff. Uh, you know, as a new supervisor, I continue to learn about the 
county and the staff who serve our communities and the programs and services. And it, it really is very impressive. I want to applaud the strategic thinking on uh, both the interdepartmental coordination, the um, strategic initiatives that have been underway and were modified with COVID and some were accelerated with COVID and that was impressive. And then finally, I want to acknowledge the strategic thinking on our one-time funding. I think these are absolutely the right initiatives and the right way, the prudent way to spend funds and save some funds for the longer term. Uh, some of the takeaways for me from the budget, budget presentation, I very much appreciate the focus on equity and the initiatives, the comprehensive way that the county has, is, has been working on this for quite some time and we're seeing a lot of things really come manifest now. Uh, the efforts of Anya and I Muse and Angela Nicholson and all the partners working on this were clearly evident and I look forward to future work on that. The homes and homelessness issues that uh, Supervisor Connolly touched on uh, are, are being again handled with innovation and initiative and we need this. And I agree that we need the communication and the community engagement to work with us to solve these very intractable issues that we have in the county. But my sense is we're on the, we're on the path to do that. Uh, and then the ongoing uh, if efforts for drawdown, climate change and sea level rise, gotta keep pushing those forward and those were very well presented and we've got our work cut out for us there. And then I want to acknowledge the employee supports that were described by both uh, Mary Howe and uh, our HHS director, uh, Benita McLaren. I think that the onboarding and mentoring is going to be so important uh, as we work to retain a young workforce, a diverse workforce. And I wanna encourage us to uh, emphasize team building on this as, in this effort as well. For all of us, I think working in these interdepartmental modes uh, takes a team building acumen and uh, that's worth looking at. So it, finally, uh, the opportunity to build back better that we've had through COVID. Uh, the emphasis uh, for June for me is going to be in, in agreement with my colleagues, emergency preparedness. Uh, let's take a deeper dive on that and all of our efforts will be right in the beginning of fire season, so that'll be timely. Uh, the capital improvements, I agree, need focus at Marin Center as well as Civic Center. Uh, I'd like to see, uh, again, a point that Supervisor Arnold uh, relayed, which is uh, community engagement and communication. I'd like to see us take a little closer look in June about the, those efforts that we have and the staffing available because it is cross-cutting for all of the issues that we're working on and can really help us move these things forward. Uh, and then finally, I'll just add uh, the Aging Action Initiative and Supervisor Rice's um, comment about preschool and uh, efforts for children. We've got to keep uh, members, uh, both the young and the more senior in our communities in mind. So those would be what I look to hear about more in June. Thank you very much. Thank you, Supervisor Rice. I mean, Supervisor Moulton Peters. Um, so I get to wrap up and I want to just for, certainly thank the CAO's office Brett and his budget staff, and really all staff that presented during these last three days. But mostly I wanna thank all the employees of the county for the, all the work that they've done this last year. They've 
always done, but all the additional work they did this last year to keep the county functioning, to work as disaster workers, and to really make a difference for our community. Um, and what a difference that is. A year ago, we were sitting here facing the COVID. We didn't know if it was going to be a few weeks long, a few months long, but I don't think any of us expected it was going to be a year or more long, and we're still in the middle of it, so we have a ways to go. Um, I do want to concur with all the suggestions I've heard today from other board members. I think that they're all worthy of looking at again, um, but my comments are going to be rather brief and very general um, as we wrap this, I wrap this up. The good news is that our budget impacts do not seem to be as severe as we first anticipated, which is really good news. We still do face a budget shortfall going forward and we need to address those issues and figure out ways to build revenue to meet the demands of our citizens. We've learned a lot from this pandemic about how to deliver services to our most vulnerable population. For maybe the first time, our essential workers have become the focus of men, many of these efforts. And I think that's right, right that we focus on our essential workers. Our testing and vaccination efforts continue, but now we must plan for the recovery. A recovery that leaves no one behind. A recovery that improves housing conditions, improves health care, improves wages and standards of living, improves education, and job training that provides individuals opportunities for long-term success. We can only do this by the commitment of this board to invest in our future with more resources than we ever have before, to entrust in our community partners and our residents and make sure our decision-making strives to improve and not divide. This means recognizing the long-term return on investments and not necessarily the short-term costs. Now is the opportunity, and I believe we never before have we had been as this well positioned position to take on this challenge. The COVID pandemic has brought us the opportunity to make change, to be smarter, to be more efficient, and to be bolder with our decisions so that we lift up all our residents. So I just wanna again, thank everyone, thank the board members for their participation, thank staff for their participation. And um, looks like we're wrapping up and I wanna adjourn this meeting and remind the audience and everyone that we don't meet again till April 13th. So there's Brett. Brett, thank you so much. Very good job. Appreciate your work. And thank you all. This meeting is adjourned. Thank you, Dennis. Yeah.